when we get into Romans 15, I want to just give you some historical background as to what's going on. Because, because when you get to this passage, Paul's talking about this, this offering, this contribution gathered from certain local churches and, and taken for the saints at Jerusalem. He actually calls them the poor saints at Jerusalem. In verses 25 and 26, Paul says that he's going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. But in the very next verse, verse, what he's saying is, I'm going to take this contribution and give it to them. And so a lot of times we think about ministry as doing what I'm doing, teaching and preaching and evangelism and discipleship. But I want you to understand that ministry is also giving. It's giving. And he's going to minister in a very carnal way with money. <laughs> he's going to take a contribution that has been taken from the churches of Macedonia and Achaia. And, and I didn't put a map on the screen, but the, but the region of Achaia would have been modern-day Greece, and it would have included churches such as the Church of Corinth. Macedonia would have been a, a different region, just a little north and east, and it would have included churches such as the church at Thessalonica. And so what Paul is saying is, these Gentile churches took up a contribution to minister to these poor saints at Jerusalem. And as we track through the New Testament, you can see this very clearly. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 3, Paul mentions this offering. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I give an order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So Paul is charging the Corinthian church, you need to be a part of this offering. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto where? Unto Jerusalem. And so Paul is charging the church at Corinth, which would have been in Achaia, hey, you guys need to get ready to minister to the saints at Jerusalem. When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you see this, this offering mentioned again, verses 1 to 5. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you uh, to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the what? Giving is ministry. And, and very specifically, Paul is saying that, listen, these Macedonian churches, they weren't loaded. <laughs> they weren't like American churches. Uh, they, they gave out of their poverty, but it, it gave them joy to give and they gave their gift to minister to the saints. And, and then we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, and, and we don't have time to read it all. The point is, we see this offering for Jerusalem recorded all the way through uh, the New Testament epistles. Now, you got to ask the question. i got to ask the question. Why, why did the saints at Jerusalem need help? I mean, I mean when, you, when you study the Bible, this thing kind of started in Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean that's kind of where the first church was. That's, that's where the apostles were. There was a lot happening early in the book of Acts, in the book of, in the book of Acts in Jerusalem. 
So why were they poor and why were they in need of ministry from other churches? Let me, let me just run you through a couple of blanks in your notes. Number one, listen, the church at Jerusalem had power. Remember, Pentecost happened and, and God, Christ told the disciples at his ascension, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he tells them right before he ascends, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That happened in Acts chapter 2. They got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 2, God gave them the power to be witnesses starting in Jerusalem. And so listen, they had God's power. Secondly, they had God's people. And and the reason that they had God's people is because after Peter was filled with the Spirit of God and sealed with the Spirit of God, Peter does what any Spirit-filled man does. He begins to preach God's Word. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says that then they that gladly received his Word, Peter's words, the preaching, they were baptized. By the way, that's that's the progression for any of us. You receive the gospel of Jesus Christ first by faith. You become a believer in Christ first, then you're baptized second. Because baptism is not the gospel, and the gospel is not baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us those are two different things. And so as Peter is preaching, people that believe by faith the message of the gospel received Peter's word, then they were baptized And the Bible says the same day they were added unto them about how many souls? 3,000 souls. And and if you go just a little further in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, Peter again preaching, it says how many many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about how many? Okay, listen, whether that's 3,000 plus 5,000 or or the 3,000 became 5,000, what could God do with 5,000 people that believed the gospel, were sealed with the Spirit of God, and willing to do whatever God asked of them? What could God do with a church of 5,000 people? You think, he, you think a church like that could reach Jerusalem? You think a church like that could reach Huntsville, Alabama? Listen, God, God gave them power, and then through the preaching of the gospel, God gave them the people. And by the way, that's the only way this church is going to get the people, is through preaching the gospel. That, that's what we're about. We're, we're, I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful anytime God brings someone from another church. But the way that our church grows is through propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then number three, that church at Jerusalem had the possessions. They had possessions. In other words, they weren't a poor church. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44. I mean, thousands of people are getting saved. It says all that believed were together. And they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was no shortage a financial provision at the church of Jerusalem. They had the power, they had the people, they had the possessions, they had everything they needed to do what God had told them to do. So why in Romans 15 are they poor? 
Well, the reason they're poor is, is number four in your notes or, or your blank. They had persecution. And the reason that they had persecution is because they only went so far in their faith. And, and, and you have to understand doctrinally what's happening in Acts chapter 7. God is still early in the book of Acts offering the physical kingdom to the nation of Israel, the kingdom of heaven. In Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen that stands and preaches one of the strongest sermons to the leaders of the nation of Israel. And he goes through their entire Old Testament history, bringing them right up to their crucifixion of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God is offering the nation of Israel as a nation one more opportunity for the kingdom, the literal physical kingdom that he's promised them. Look at verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, messianic phrase, standing on the right hand of God. Stephen says, Jesus Christ is right there. He's standing. And if you as a nation will repent, he'll, he'll, he'll bring the kingdom to this earth. Everybody preaches Acts chapter 7. Well, Jesus was just standing because Stephen was about to be martyred. Listen, Christians have been martyred every day since Acts chapter 1. Jesus would have never sat down if that were the case. Also, God is no respecter of person. When heaven opens in the word of God, someone goes up or someone comes down. Every single time. Take it to the bank. Every single time. And so when heaven opened, the Son of Man is standing to give the nation of Israel the opportunity to receive the physical kingdom. Verse 57, then they, the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel at Jerusalem, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down. And he cried with a loud voice, and he said, Lord, lay not, listen, this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, the nation of Israel, up through Acts chapter 7, nationally had an opportunity to receive Christ as their Messiah, as their king. But they rejected that offer. They rejected John the Baptist pre-Christ ministry. They rejected Christ himself. They rejected Acts chapter 7, Stephen's ministry, and that offer of the kingdom was taken off the table. And right in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says that Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen's death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You see, God's hand of blessing removed from that church at Jerusalem. Why? Because they didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't receive the Messiahship of Christ. The other thing they didn't do is they never left Jerusalem. Because when you go through the rest of the book of Acts, you see that, that ultimately Saul will be converted and become Saul, Paul. Saul becomes Paul. I didn't have enough coffee today. And Paul takes the gospel to the Gentile world. Well, that's what, that's what Christ told those Jewish apostles to do. 
but they just got holed up in Jerusalem, and they never went. And so you need to get a principle, and I don't think it's on your, on your notes, but you need to get this principle down. We as a church will either be an Acts chapter 1, verse 8 church, or we're going to be an Acts chapter 8, verse 1 church. In other words, we're going we're gonna to, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, be witnesses to the world, or we're going to be a persecuted church because we're disobedient to God. Let me tell you how Jerusalem and the church at Jerusalem ended in poverty. They ended in poverty and persecution because they rebelled against God. And you want a surefire way to take the hand of God's blessing off of a church. Quit doing what God told you to do. Quit making disciples of all nations. Quit getting, stop getting serious about reaching the world with the gospel. And I don't care how many people you have in a seat, and I don't care how much money you have, the blessing of God will be removed from that church. You can be an Acts 1-8 church. You can be an Acts 8-1 church. You can be an Acts 1-8 Christian. You can be an Acts 8-1 Christian. And I, I, would, I would prefer to live under the blessing of God in my life. So ultimately, what we see is this church at Jerusalem experienced poverty. And we see that later on in the book of Acts, God tells us there was a great famine that came throughout all the world. It was prophesied by Agabus the prophet. That famine was called dearth. It, it, it was a, a physical famine, but there was a spiritual connection to that as well. Because once God moved his base of operation from Jerusalem to Antioch, and once the nation of Israel as a whole rejected God and the offer of the kingdom in Acts chapter 7, God took his hand of blessing off of that city and off of that nation, and he moved it to the Gentiles. That's why there are poor saints in Jerusalem. And we need to learn from that. We need to learn historically from that, from that example. Now, inspirationally, how do we take this passage and apply it to our life? Well, let's talk about the thing that nobody wants to talk about in church world. Let's talk about money for a second. Number one, ministry is giving of your finances. Ministry is giving of your finances. And the truth is, in the New Testament, you can really break down giving, uh, New Testament giving, into two simple categories. Uh, smarter guys do it better than me, but I, I'm a simple kind of guy, and counting to two is really as far as I want to go. So, number one, what we have in the New Testament is local church giving. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When Paul deals with the Corinthian church, he says, It's written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of the oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt that, is written, that it is written, He that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And what he's saying is, listen, if an ox is, is running a grinding meal or grinding stone, if he's doing the labor of grinding out the corn or grinding out the wheat, what, what God is saying is you feed the ox because he's laboring to deliver the grain. Does that make sense? And, and, and even he's talking about a harvest. Listen, if someone threshes a threshing floor, they should be partaker of the labor in which they're involved in. Verse 11, here he gets to the point. If we, and he's talking about him and his ministry team, have sown unto you spiritual things. Is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? And then he says in verse 12, if others be partaker of this power over you, are, are not we rather? 
Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. And again, he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, listen, all those Levitical priests, you guys remember those? Everybody loves the book of Leviticus, right? You read through the Levitical priesthood. You read about the sons of Aaron. Those Levitical priests in the Old Testament, they didn't get a land inheritance like the rest of Israel. Their inheritance was the ministry of the tabernacle and later the ministry of the temple. So how did God provide for them? God allowed them to take of the offerings that were brought by the nation. In other words, when people brought their offerings, their free will offerings, their sin offerings, whatever it was they were offering, the Levitical priesthood and the sons of Aaron, they got a cut of that. And they also offered a portion of that cut back to the Lord. So they tithed off of what was given as a tithe, for instance. And, and verse 14 sums it up. God says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And so local church giving in the New Testament is biblical, whether you like it or not. It's not a ministry is giving, whether you like it or not. And, and God uses, Paul uses the examples of Old Testament ministers, Levites, sons of Aaron, that, that got their physical needs provided for by their service to God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And Paul said in the New Testament, it's the exact same thing. Paul is saying, if we're bringing the gospel to you, and we're bringing the word of God to you, and we're making disciples of Christ of you, that's a spiritual investment. And because of that, there should be a carnal investment. You say, well, I don't think ministers should get paid. Well, you need to read the Bible. <laughs> Nobody cares what you think. <laughs> Did that hurt? I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Nobody cares what you think. Look at, look at the key principle. Look, spiritual investment is worth a carnal investment. Spiritual investment is worth a carnal investment. Now, God tells us in his word what spiritual things are, and, and we could take the time, but spiritual things are things that come from the word of God. They're spiritually focused. First Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which were freely given to us of God. Listen, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. So in other words, when somebody takes the word of God and compares scripture with scripture, spiritual words with spiritual words, and prepares something that will edify the body of Christ... That's a spiritual investment. Whoever stands in this pulpit that opens the word of God, that rightly divides it, that has done the work to teach the word of God, whomever he is, he's making a spiritual investment into our life. And because of that, we're debtors. We're debtors. God says that there are spiritual things. John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus himself says that the words that he speaks are spirit, and they are life. And please don't receive this the wrong way, man. I, I, as, you know, as a pastor, anytime you preach a message like this, people always assume selfish motivation. Not all people, but some people assume that. We're just sticking to the text. And, and this church takes care of me, by the way, for the record. Uh, so this is not selfishly motivated. We're going to see how it applies to missions in just a few minutes. 
There are spiritual things, and when those things get invested, there's a return investment of carnal things. So, so carnal things are things like money. Money's just carnal. Money has no moral uh, attribute. You can use money to help a missionary. You can use money to do all, all kinds of sinful things that I won't mention. <laughs> money is amoral. And so even in that 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is saying, hey, listen, there are spiritual things that have been sown. Is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? I mean, is this really hard to understand? You know, Luke 16, 11 calls money unrighteous mammon. If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You see, Laodicean Christians think that money is the true riches. Because according to the book of Revelation, Laodicean Christians are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. No, we need some things. <laughs> we, we need some spiritual investment. And so a spiritual investment requires or, or can yield a, a carnal investment. And then here's the second key in your note. I want you to understand that a carnal investment can yield spiritual fruit. It can yield spiritual fruit. And we're not talking about prosperity gospel, but listen, if you have a pastor that preaches and teaches the Word of God, if you have a missionary that is in the Dominican Republic that ministers the Word of God, which is in a place where you're not, that physical investment into his life and into his ministry yields spiritual fruit. And so... And so there is a local church application to giving and every born-again believer ought to give. And they ought to give to their local church. And they ought to give faithfully and regularly if they're in a Bible-teaching and believing church where they're growing spiritually. And if you're not in one, you need to go find a Bible-believing church that teaches the Word of God. And when you grow spiritually, you need... Listen, you would never go to a restaurant, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the restaurant, Texas State Brazil? Is that where they just keep bringing the meats? Is that, where my, where my, where my, okay, yeah, I know, I was, like, I was looking for the pierces, man. I was like, I was looking for Michael, man. I need, a, I need a word of witness on this. I still haven't been there, but I, I know, nobody's invited me, I'm just saying. But I've heard there is such a place in this town where you can put a green card on the, on the table, and they just keep bringing the meats. <laughs> right? I mean, how amazing is that? And could you imagine just getting all you can get and then, you know, loosening your belt a notch just to make a little room, taking about a 10-minute break, and then going at it again, man, right? And just getting all you can get. Could you imagine sitting at such a place and thinking, this is the most wonderful, this is the greatest thing, I'm full. But then getting up and walking out without paying? Would, would you ever do that? Would you ever do that at a restaurant? And man, listen, we got, we got sheep. We got sheep, man, that are growing, that are getting strengthened in the Word of God. Man, this church teaches the Bible. This is what I've needed. Well, man, that's a ministry of spiritual investment. Which means you have, you have an obligation, biblically, to carnally invest back in your church. You do. The second type of giving in the New Testament, we may not get done today, but I think it's needful. The second type of giving we see in the New Testament is missions giving. 
It's missions giving. And what, what's happening literally is Paul, in Romans chapter 15, he's literally calling upon all churches to help those that are in need in Jerusalem. Go back to verse 27, and I, and I want you to just read this passage again with me. Verse 27, follow along. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of, the, of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And what Paul is saying and what the Word of God is teaching is that the Gentile churches had a duty to minister back to Jerusalem because they were in debt to the church at Jerusalem and to the saints at Jerusalem. How, how were they in debt to the saints at Jerusalem? Well, well, let me just give you a couple of thoughts that I think are important. Number one, it was the Jewish nation of Israel through which Jesus Christ came. So you have a Jewish Savior. He's a Jew. And, and listen, it, it's through the nation of Israel that the Scriptures, the Word of God, came. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It's not on the screen, just listen. The Bible says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of the circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, that unto them, the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. And, and so Paul is just reminding the Gentile churches, you, you do know that you have a Jewish Savior. And, and you do know that those scriptures came through the nation of Israel. God gave the oracles of God through the Jew. Oh, and by the way, that apostle, that apostle that actually brought the gospel to you, Saul who became Paul, well, guess what he is? He's a Jew. And so the point is, it was a Jewish apostle bringing the gospel and the scriptures to the Gentiles. And so what Paul is trying to help those churches understand is that debtors have a duty to give. Debtors have a duty to give. Let me also tell you this, that, that any anti-Semitic attitude has no place in the body of Christ. Has no place. <laughs> You'd have to be a fool. To be a believer in Christ and be anti-Semitic. Do you understand that your Savior is Jewish? Do you understand that these scriptures were given to the Jews? These, these oracles of God are given through the Jewish people. Do you understand that a, a Jewish apostle brought the gospel to the Gentiles? Got no business being anti-Semitic. Got no business stealing the promises and the covenants and all the things still given to the nation of Israel. So covenant theology has no place in biblical Christianity either. So historically, that's what's happening. Practically, what we see is Paul fulfilling the role of a missionary to people that are in need. Now, now the Jewish saints had a very physical need. They were in a famine. But a very inspirational application is, listen, they're... they're the greatest need of any place is the need of the gospel. And just like churches partnered with Paul to send relief to Jerusalem, in a very similar manner, we are called to partner with people like the Carter family in the Dominican Republic to get the most precious asset, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the people that need it most. That's what we're called to do. And, and so when we give financially to support missions, you're able to impact people and places 
that we can never get to on our own. We can never get there. Okay, all that's point one. I promise we'll be done. Ministry is giving, and it is giving our finances. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end of service because we need to minister to our missionaries that have needs. Number two, ministry is giving your prayers. So not, on, not only do we give our finances because it's biblical, but number two, we give our prayers. Look at verse 30. So Paul, as the model missionary, right, as, as the guy that, that's going on behalf of these churches to Jerusalem, this, when you read this, kind of think of a missionary prayer letter. I mean, have you guys seen missionary prayer letters? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And, you know, we kind of gloss over. We look for the pictures because those are really interesting. But we, a lot of times we just blow through the actual writing. But most missionaries put some things in there and say, man, pray for this. Pray for our building. Pray for our sound system. Pray for chairs. So look at verse 30. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord, uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And then he lists three things that he wants the Romans to pray for him, to partner in prayer for him. And, and it is interesting that God uses the word, the words, strive together. I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That word strive in the Bible literally means to contend, to struggle, or to fight. And how many of you know in this room that prayer is hard work? It, it, and so in your, in your notes, listen, our prayer life is a fight. It's a fight. And, and let me tell you why it's a fight. Number one, it's a fight because your flesh and my flesh is weak. And your flesh would, would rather you do anything but pray. Your flesh is weak because sometimes sitting through a 40-minute sermon is difficult, right? And, and praying for more than about 30 seconds is difficult. Your flesh is weak. It's a fight. It's a spiritual fight that we're engaged in. But the second point is also true. It's a fight because of what is accomplished. Because when we pray, we are able, by the grace of God, to invoke the power of God into our life and our situation and our circumstances, and we're dependent upon Him and His provision. Does that make sense? And so it's a fight because we're weak, but it's a fight because we can be victorious when we pray. And Paul said, please Strive together with me in your prayers. You know, you know, most Christians, and myself is included in most Christians, we, we're really comfortable asking other people to pray for our circumstances. And, and that's a biblical thing. Paul's doing that. But Paul is also saying, hey, I want you to know that while you're praying, I'm praying too. In other words, you don't have some kind of access to God that I don't have. I don't have access to God that you don't have. We all experience the priesthood of the believer in Christ. We all have equal access to God. And so listen, if you want people praying for you, make sure you're praying for you. My, my prayer for you is not going to accomplish anything if you're not praying, because we're not striving together. We're not going to battle together. So there's three things that Paul prayed for. Number one, he, he prayed in verse 31, to be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And as we study the New Testament, we know that that prayer was answered because those Jews that were unbelievers that tried to kill Paul didn't kill him, at least in, his, in his, the, the biblical account. Practically, we need to understand that there are real challenges and real issues that missionaries deal with. Did you hear Lee's voice? Man, I'm torn between being home 
I'm torn, I'm torn between what's familiar to me, but I know we're supposed to be here. And listen, there are challenges. And the truth is, there are unreasonable men. As we, as we take the gospel to the world, there are going to be people that are against what God wants. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul again kind of echoes this sentiment. He says in verses 1 and 2, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. And so Paul was just asking prayer. Man, pray that wicked and unreasonable men don't have an effect on our ministry. That's what he's praying, specifically for his own life. Number two, he's praying, verse 31, that this service, this contribution that, they're, that he's bringing to Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. And that's kind of a weird thing. I don't, I don't really know what that means. Maybe the Jews at Jerusalem would have had a hard time receiving any help from Gentile churches. Makes you wonder why they never left Jerusalem. And so, and so now the riches <laughs> have moved on because the blessing of God has moved on from Jerusalem and they're experiencing a famine. Maybe they would have had trouble receiving Paul because Paul was the greatest Pharisee there was, and now he's an apostle. And maybe they would have not received him as, as a believer in Christ. Either way, Paul is praying that the gift would be accepted. You know, a gift is only good if it's accepted. A gift is only good as if, if it's accepted. As a missionary takes the message of the gospel to the world, the only benefits are to those who accept it. I can stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel every week, but if you don't know Christ, it doesn't do you any good until you accept that message by faith. Does that, does that make sense? And listen, when we send missionaries out, we send leaders to the Dominican Republic. He can go and preach every Sunday, every Saturday. He can preach every Friday. But it doesn't have an effect until that message is accepted. And maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today you need to make that decision. It's a free gift. But it only benefits you if you receive it. It only benefits you. The last thing that Paul asked prayer for is verse 32. He says, that I might come to you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now, Paul, Paul had a desire to get to Rome. His prayer was that he wanted to get to Rome with joy and by the will of God. Well, let me just tell you something. That prayer really didn't get answered. Because when Paul did make it to Rome, it wasn't with joy and you could argue it might not be by the will of God because it was in chains with shipwreck and imprisonment. <laughs> you can go back to Acts chapter 21. There's, there's several people that, that told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He was going to be put in bondage. They told him that by the Spirit of God. And uh, you can make a really strong case that Paul was outside of the will of God. When he went to Jerusalem, ultimately he got arrested and he went to Rome as a prisoner. And so... There's a whole lot we could talk about. We don't have time for that. Let me give you the last point. We're done. We've got five minutes. So ministry is, is giving our finances. Ministry is also giving our prayer. And the truth is, it's easier for some of us to give one versus the other. For some of us, it's easy to just swipe the debit card, throw some money at it, and never think about it. And, and for some of us, we pray, but, but man, we also are called to give. And, and so there needs to be balance in both. 
And then the last point that we need to understand this morning is that ministry, the ministry of giving will yield fruit. This is a fruitful thing to invest in. So look at verse 28, when Paul says, When I therefore have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And what he's talking about is he's performing, taking the offering to Jerusalem, and after he does that, he's going to come to the Romans, uh, he's going to come by you into Spain. So he's going to hit Rome and then go into Spain. So here's the point. Paul's performance of taking the offering to the poor saints at Jerusalem sealed fruit to those that gave. Now that's very interesting. In other words, when Paul delivers that contribution, when he delivers the gift, he says those that gave it have fruit sealed to their account. Well, that's very interesting. Well, who do you think's keeping keeping that account? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before the Lord and give an account, you have an opportunity to make sure there is fruit on your account. Does anybody still check their like checkbook account? Do you check your balance like at all? Or do you wait for the notification that says low balance? <laughs> I mean, do you know how much money is in your account? Now, some of you take it overboard because you check it like 20 times a day. But some of you never check it. Like you get the ding that, hey, you, you're, you're, you're like $5 under now. You've bounced and we had to transfer money. Okay, whatever. Not that I've ever known that that happened to me before, but whatever. Okay. Speaking from experience, <laughs> you know, it's important to know what's in your account. And can I just tell you, biblically, it's important that you have something in your account. Philippians chapter 4, again, Paul echoes this sentiment. He says in verse 16, Even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And he's talking about financial help for him and his ministry. And he's talking, he's talking to the Philippians and he says, listen, I'm not asking for a gift. What I'm desiring is fruit that may abound to whose account? Your account. And the point is, listen, when we partner with people in missions, we, we are investing in a ministry that has a tremendous return on investment. You can't beat it. When you give to missions, God gives you fruit toward your account. Because the truth is, most of us will never be able to go to the Dominican Republic. The truth is, most of us will never be able to go to Kenya, Africa, or Zambia, Africa, or Albania, Eastern Europe. Most of us, maybe for a mission trip, but never for an ex extended period of time. But there are people there doing what we're doing here that we can invest in. And when they reach people with the gospel of Christ, through the resources that you put in their hand... You have fruit to your account. So how does your account look? Do you have any fruit that's sealed to your account? You ought to have spiritual fruit as well, by the way. As a believer in Christ, if I go back to where we started, we're all called to be ministers. We need to have fruit of people that we've won to Christ and discipled in Christ, but we also need to have fruit of people that we've supported in Christ. And so as we close, let me just challenge you. Ministry is giving. And maybe some of you here today would say, you know what, I've never really heard it like that, never really seen it like that from the Bible. Maybe God's challenged your heart to get serious about your responsibility to give and give to a local church. And if it's not this church, find a local church 
and be a part of it and be serious about investing back because you're being invested in spiritually. And then number two, listen, we have a great opportunity to minister. Take your bulletin and look on the back of your bulletin. A little bit different invitation today, but, but can I just encourage you? You see all those names? Those are the missionaries that we support as a church. And we need to know these people intimately and personally. And we need to know their story and we need to know what their burdens are and what their prayer requests are. And we need to know what the financial needs are in their ministry and the spiritual needs in their ministry. And can you just look at that list and see the places? Kenya, Africa. The 1040 window, that's most of India. Peru, Romania, Zambia, New York, Zambia, Bolivia, Morgan County. That's just right across the road. Peru. Miss Kimball is a retired missionary in Tennessee. Malawi, Africa. Brian Kayoma. Kenya, Africa. Zambia. Hungary. And the Dominican Republic. Right now, this church, by the grace of God, is having fruit abounding to our account and, and your account, if you give to missions, all over the world. By the grace of God. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. We don't have much time left. And so as we close, I, I want to just challenge you. Number one, if you're not saved, God has a free gift he wants to give you. It's salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest message that you'll ever hear. But listen, if you don't receive it by faith in your heart, realizing that you're a sinner, realizing that your sin separates you from Christ, and that the only provision and forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and it must be received by faith. Not works, not anything we can do, not amount of money we can give to purchase our salvation. It's only through the shed blood of Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, today you need to get saved. Number two, if you're saved, we need to get involved in the ministry. What that means is we need to be ministers, we need to be missional, and we need to give. We need to give. So let's pray.